0: Hey everyone, welcome back to Ascend Student Ministries Anchored Podcast. Do just want to give you a quick note that two episodes were released this week on Monday due to an error in uploading them. So there will be no episode released on Friday of this week. So this week, you should be working through Luke chapter 13, 14, 15, 16. And the final episode of the week will be released on Thursday and it will be on chapter 17. So we jump in today to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16 reads, He also said to the disciples, There was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do since my master is taking the management away from me? I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So summoning his master. Debtors, one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe, my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, How much do you owe? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write down eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of the light. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give to you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money." The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. They said to him, You are those who justify yourself before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since then the good news of the kingdom of God is preached, and everyone forces his way into it. But it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one dot of the law to become void. Everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. For today's Nugget of Truth, we're going to focus in here on the last section of this chapter, what's called the rich man and Lazarus. And in doing so, we're going to answer a big question. What does God need to do to save more people? When we look at this account, what we see is there's two principal characters that have both passed into the afterlife. One goes to heaven, Lazarus. One goes to hell, the rich man. And what we see here is there's an interchange between them. And a third character here listed as Abraham, who is kind of the intermediary in this passage. And so Abraham is there with Lazarus, and he is in Abraham's bosom, another way of saying that it's paradise in heaven, and Lazarus is there, and Abraham speaks to the rich man about the reversal of fortunes that's taken place. The rich man had everything he wanted in the earthly life and now is lacking in the afterlife for not responding the way that he was called to. Then Lazarus seemingly had nothing in his earthly life, but now has been restored to the elevation of the status that people want in the afterlife of being at Abraham's bosom in heaven at God's side. And so what we see here is the reversal that could take place in our lifetime, reminding us, as we've spoken on earlier in this podcast, that the judgment of God is not seen in the same way as the judgment of man. So man sees somebody who has struggles and trials and things like that in this life and they might think well god is punishing that person In fact, no, that's not necessarily always the case. Sometimes they can be being punished because of the consequences of their own sins, but God is not handing out judgment or making bad things happen to bad people or people that are not following Him all the time and then restoring all of the good things or the good blessings for just the good people that are following Him. In fact, good things happen to people who are evil. Good things happen to people who are seeking after the Lord. Bad things happen to people who are evil. Bad things happen to people who are seeking the Lord. So the earthly circumstances are not to show what's going on with a person in the eyes of God. But specifically, this last section is what's most important here, because the man says, well, hey, if you can't allow me to cross this chasm and come up to the blessing that's there, or to allow Lazarus to just dip his finger Into the water to cool my tongue, if that can't even happen, please send somebody back to my brothers so they don't end up here in the same spot. And the response that we have is that that's not going to happen. Because Abraham says, No, they have Moses, they have the prophets, they have everything they need. But he says, Hey, send them somebody who will come back from the dead, being that person, to go back and tell them. And he responds at the final point here. He says, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So I often hear now people saying, Hey, God needs to do miracles like he used to do so that people will turn and follow and respond to him. This passage is displaying that that's not going to be what takes place because they have everything that they need to respond in the right manner. Because even if God did that, It's not going to make it so that everybody believes. There's always going to be other excuses. There's always going to be other opportunities, which leads us to a big principle. God is not needing to do anything else miraculous for people to come to salvation because he's given the ability for all people to respond to him as he has revealed himself in his own creation and through the special revelation that's out there now with his word that has been written and translated into so many different languages, sent by missionaries to so many different countries, people groups, tribes, tongues, ends of the earth type things. It is out there and God is spreading his good news for those people. But it's not necessary for him to continue to do all these miracles to try to prove himself to these people Because if they truly have a heart to follow, if the Spirit of God is active in their life, then they will respond to the presentation of the gospel by humbling themselves before the mighty hand of God. So, if God is just trying to just find this trick or this gimmick that's going to make it so the most people are going to respond to him, if that's the God that we're thinking of or looking for, that's not the God who is sitting righteously and holy in the heavens above. He's not sitting here trying to beg people to follow him, but he's using his ambassadors to take the gospel to those hearts that will respond to it. Throughout this gospel here in Luke, we see the hard-heartedness of the people who are claiming to be religious. They're not responding to what God has done. This displays that that is always going to be the case. That though people might think they're pious, they might think that they're following after the Lord. They're not necessarily always going to be The people that are responding to what God is doing. So they must humble themselves. They must do that in this lifetime so that at the right time God would exalt them to their place in heaven. So today as we think about that, as we contemplate what God is doing with the gospel now, let us remember that he has given us the gospel to be able to be planted in the lives of those who are seeking it, who are understanding its power, who are responding in right relationship to it. And so we don't need God to be providing us miracles or other specific things that are going to win these people over who have not been won, by the gospel and the power of the gospel because it's truly the power of the gospel that has that opportunity to transform it's not these seemingly miracles or other things that might be asked for other signs other different things that people say well if god would only do this then i would believe the gospel is powerful enough it is efficient enough it is provided for all people to respond to in the way in which god has revealed himself to the people So let's remember that today. Let's rest in that promise knowing that there's nothing about our evangelism or our spreading of the gospel or the expressions of the glory of the gospel that needs to be added with anything else in this time. Another thing about this passage is something that we'll address here as we look at the question. Um, This is normally called the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. It's not marked as a parable here, but there's a lot of questions about, hey, what's taking place? If this is a parable, why is there somebody who has a name in it? And none of the rest of the parables have names. So Lazarus is here. He's not the same Lazarus as John chapter 11 because he's in a completely different life stage but we see that there's a name here. Is this a parable or is this real life? What's going on? So the most likely thing is this is probably a parable. It's here taught about a specific thing that is taking place. And now some people believe that Lazarus is included here because that's a specific name of a person that was experiencing this in the time that they would have known and recognized and allowed them to extend this image or this metaphor in their life. But ultimately, we don't know if that's the case. The name is given here that's not usually given in a parable. But the teaching here is descriptive of a parable, what's taking place, seeing into things that are not necessarily going to be seen, allowing Abraham to be here, this representative of the person who is there with him in heaven. Symbolic language, the things that we read in this passage, are very much like many of the parables that we read. So this is commonly called a parable, I think rightly so, even though it does have the specific name of an individual. That doesn't mean it can't be a parable, but it does mean that there might be some crossover between this being a real event or a real person that's taking place and that taking place in the context of this parable. So always look at the different things that are going on in the passages. There's a lot of other things that we could ask questions about in this passage as well, specifically what is the parable of the dishonest manager talking about, things like that. Whatever those questions are for you, I don't want to give you those answers because I want you to seek those answers on your own as you seek to study God's Word, to learn from it, to connect with others who are doing the same so that hopefully you grow in your ability to understand God's Word and communicate that with others. Know today you were loved.